Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving. So on this show, you'll hear from chefs, pastry aficionados, restaurateurs, molecular gastronomers, food bloggers, enthusiasts, authors, wine geeks, beer experts, and more. And we'll keep you up to date on fabulous food, wine, spirits, travel, health, and trends, because I'm all about living the best life. And the most passionate food and wine lovers listen here. So if you're a food enthusiast, well, then this is your show, and you are definitely in the right place. From the politics of food to the shared plate, from wine wisdom to heart-healthy advice, it is all here, and I hope that you'll tune in every weekend. It is my delight to share with you what I love to cook and love to eat, so please check out chefjamie.com, where I am always serving up seconds, and you can find my daily dish, Hopeful to make you hungry for more on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. After so many wonderful years here on the radio, I still love to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts. Uh, My way, I guess, of hoping to make you the best cook you know. And so I say, when life gives you lemons put them in everything. Yes, to me, lemons are the universally useful seasoning. And the Meyer lemon is a prized find. I had some delivered from Melissa's, my produce company of choice this past week, and I have relished in them. They are more readily available than ever. And this is the height of the season. So when you get your hands on Meyer lemons, the sweet tart variety, or maybe you're growing Eureka lemons, the household variety, Well, then I thought I'd share some inspiration for the lovely lemons so that you know what to do with them or everything to do with them. So adding lemon juice or zest to a dish, either sweet or savory, changes the entire flavor profile. Suddenly, a blackberry pie tastes like it's packed with a thousand perfect berries. And roasted broccolini isn't just another side dish. It's the lemon juice and definitely the zest where all the natural oils in the lemon exist, just the yellow part, not the white pith, that contributes to that glorious savor that you can't quite put your finger on. I think that lemons are as crucial a flavor enhancer as salt. But while salt is a mainstay, lemons are often tragically overlooked. So lemons have spread from India and Rome to the Middle East, Africa, China, and then to the Americas. And the lemon remains one of the most widely used ingredients from continent to continent. And I think few great cooks take advantage of their seasoning potential. I keep lemons in my basic pantry arsenal. Like if you were to ask me what I keep in my fridge at all times, which I consider, by the way, part of the pantry, it's my essentials. Yes, in my dry goods area, I always have pasta and some good quality jarred sauce so that I can make dinner in a moment's notice. I keep good olive oil and soy sauce. 
I keep maple syrup, the basics for baking, and so on. Then I keep a few luxury items, like you've heard me talk about colatura. You could use fish sauce instead. I have something truffle around, preferably truffle salt, and the list goes on. But when I speak about my refrigerator pantry, those are my necessary essentials, and they're always on my grocery list. They're, uh, let's say, uh, Parmesan cheese, lemons, some kind of dairy. I keep heavy cream or half and half in the house at all times because you never know who might stop by for coffee. Uh, And then a few other things, a good wedge of cheese and so on. Now, lemons always on the list because there is something about a drop of lemon juice, as I mentioned in that blackberry pie, that brings a dish to a whole new level. And I've learned this from the chefs that I've had the privilege of working under back when I was working in professional kitchens and staging and in culinary school. I still like to spend a little bit of time behind the line, as they call it, in a chef friend's restaurant just to, you know, get a couple of burns and remember what it used to be like. And I will say uh, that the great uh, chef Charlie Palmer, he taught me a thing or two about lemons. I had an opportunity, as I've shared here on the radio before, to spend some time in his kitchen. And he keeps a half a lemon on the line where he expedites, you know, where he stands and the great cooks and chefs of his kitchen deliver dishes so that they can head on out to the dining room. Well, he puts a drop of lemon juice in many of them. And you might not know that it's there, but it's that bright burst of sunshiny flavor that elevates a dish. On your tongue, salt and lemon work a similar kind of magic. So biochemically speaking, salty and sour taste receptors are relatively simple compared with the sweet, bitter, and umami counterparts. Tasting salty and sour is solely dependent on the detection of ions, sodium for salt, hydrogen for sour, whereas tasting other flavors depends on more complicated receptors. Now, acidity, like saltiness, leads to an increase in salivation, makes you salivate, right? Makes foods more uh, more mouth-watering. That's a tongue twister. More mouth-watering. And the upshot of that squeeze of lemon is as good as a dash of salt in bringing out the flavor of just about any food. Now, it is not a substitute. It is an elevation, as I like to call it. So besides making your mouth water, the acidity also cuts through fat and greasiness and heaviness, and it gives you that fresh, clean taste. Lemon juice can also change a food's texture, like when you macerate berries or you tenderize meat or you make ceviche. And lemon juice contains citric acid, which helps break down protein, fat, and carbohydrates. The lemons, though, not just for their juice, as I mentioned. The zest contains lemon oil. That's where you find the most bang for your buck. And I think it's especially handy in the instances where you want to add flavor, but not add liquid. For instance, if you're making a beautiful summer peach pie and you're making your own pie crust, kudos to you, add a little lemon zest to the crust. No need for more liquid, but rather that bright essence of lemon adds flavor. Plus, lemons have a bevy of health benefits that you might not know about. 
They actually are statistically proven to help control blood pressure because they're rich in potassium. They're uh, said to clean out toxins from the body, which is why I put lemon in my warm water or hot tea at night. They help prevent the formation of kidney stones. They're rich in vitamin C, so they act as an immunity booster. And they have anti-aging and anti-inflammatory properties. So yay for the lemon, right? And if you have lemons in abundance, you can always make limoncello, right? Of course. All right, here's my best lemony recipes. I make an herbed scallop on the grill that is so bright and beautiful with lemon flavor. It's very simply the juice of a couple of lemons with some fresh thyme leaves, olive oil, lemon zest, salt, and pepper. And I actually thread like on a skewer, a kebab of scallops and lemon wedges side by side, and then grill them just until the scallops are opaque in the center and just so delicious. I make a spiked strawberry lemonade where I combine strawberry slices with sugar and lemon juice in a bowl and I let it sit for a couple of hours and then I run it in the food processor, add water and uh, ice and a pinch of salt, by the way, and then a splash of vodka and you have homemade spiked strawberry lemonade. And then last but not least, my bonus recipe for the week is a quick and easy lemon icebox pie. It is so easy to make that it will be your go-to summer dessert, not only for this summer, but I hope for summers to come. I am a fool for sweets. Um, I do not turn down dessert. Um, And this is my best spring and summer dessert. So bright, so refreshing, so scrumptious, and I will gladly share it. It is, once again, this week's bonus recipe, and all you need to do is email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com, and I will send you my quick and easy lemon icebox pie recipe. You can always go to chefjamie.com and contact me through there as well. And do not touch your dial. Because there is lots more to feed your soul. We are making beautiful bowls of ramen coming up next. And before the end of the hour, master distiller Brent Elliott of Four Roses Bourbon is toasting us. Yes, he's stopping by with his new batch. Oh, I can't wait to taste. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as the delicious conversation continues right after this. We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration, the culture of food and living the best life. If you're a ramen aficionado, well then listen up. There is a comic book cookbook filled with delectable ramen recipes, weekend project stocks, homemade noodles, and an array of delicious accompaniments with insights and tips from notable ramen luminaries, and it just released. 
you're going to want to know more about Let's Make Ramen, written by Chef Hugh Amano, the opening chef of Fat Rice in Chicago, and illustrated by Sarah Beacon, a highly lauded comics artist and designer. You are about to experience a ramen revelation, and Hugh and Sarah are here to dish. I'm glad to have you both. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, of course. The book is fabulous. I'm very enamored with it, both of you. You should know that, and kudos to you. It's like a whole new world. It's a whole new world of cookbook. Uh, I'd like to know first, Hugh, if you would share a little bit about your Japanese roots, um, and then, um, Sarah, we'll talk about your drawings next. So my, my father is Japanese um, from Kyoto, and I've been able to spend a lot of time over there, you know, every summer when I was a kid. Naturally, you run into ramen a lot. I mean, you run into ramen a lot as an American kid, too. So I knew what it was when I was over there. Um, it's one of those things, you know, high sodium, not the healthiest thing, so your parents kind of keep you from it, but... Um, you know, I really dug in and got into ramen growing up. And then as an adult, once I um, became a chef, it was right when everything was hitting. And meaning all of the ramen yas or ramen shops over there were able to expand and um, improve on what was being done. And it's a relatively new dish. So there's a lot of funky stuff going on. And that's kind of the cool thing about it. Japanese culture is very, um, very almost strict on, on how things go, and ramen, sort of the sky's the limit, so you can really freestyle there, and that's really fun. That's what I love about it. When I think, Hugh, of Japanese culture, I think of, like you said, boundaries and rules and restrictions, and for good reason, because there's such a perfection to the art of the cuisine. But when you think of ramen, you think that they like, you know broke the mold, extended beyond the box. And it really is a revelation, essentially, to consider how big ramen has become and how wonderfully elevated and different and out there it has been accepted as. I think that's just an an extraordinary growth process. You know, it's kind of the best of both worlds because you have the, the Japanese, that the shokunin, which is just focusing on one thing and doing it so well. Um, and then you just kind of have like the wild, wild, let's get kind of nutty and put a lot of different things in there and try and make, make sense of it all and make things really good and, and yeah. keep expanding. So it's super fun. Yeah, it's definitely very cool. Uh, Sarah, what was it like to draw a cookbook? It's really the first of its kind, right? I mean, it's a comic book cookbook. Yeah, it definitely took a long time, but it was amazing to draw it. I, it was not the first time that I've drawn recipes, but it was the first time that I tackled an entire full-length cookbook. Wow. Um, Hugh and I met uh, through Fat Rice. We both worked on the Adventures of Fat Rice. So there are a few recipes in that book that I illustrated as comics, and I, I'm very biased, but I think comics are an ideal medium for, uh, for instructions of any kind, but for recipes in particular. It's really easy to pare down the details and just show like the most important information in the simplest and most easy, easy to understand way possible. Sure. And then you show a progression of each step as it goes along. So it's really, it's ideally suited for the format. I think it's fascinating to consider the reach 
and the span of uh, food lovers that you will and have already begun to attain in a comic book cookbook. I love that the breadth of it feels like from cooking with your kids to following along no matter what age or like level of experience you're at. I can follow a comic book cookbook no matter what. And there's something so whimsical and fun about it. And it is a beautiful work of art, Sarah. You should be very proud. I loved reading in your bio. Yes, well-deserved. I love reading in your bio that you would be very happy to do nothing but draw food all day. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, (laughs) that's a a good plan. I like that for a life plan. Um, Hugh, can we talk some necessary pantry essentials, please, for a a bowl of goodness for ramen? There there are some things that one must keep on hand. There's kind of the basic things that people will have in their pantry. Um, You know, obviously salt, uh, shoyu or soy sauce, maybe miso. But I think one of the things that people might not keep in a pantry is kombu. That's the really thick kelp that we use in our dashi. Um, and that's the kind of thing that can bump the umami flavor in anything. Um, yes. Anytime you're looking for that extra, you know, the lack of a better word, sort of meaty, full flavor, kombu will provide that. Um, there's a lot of that great glutamic acid in there. Um, and just soaking it at the end, um, soaking it in the dashi at the end of the process for like 10 minutes will, will make all the difference. So I think that's something that's important to keep in there. Um, I also feel the same way about things like katsuobushi and niboshi. Those are, katsuobushi is the, the fish flakes that mm. the Beatles made famous that, you know, you can <laughs> shave a dried and smoked tuna atop something hot and it kind of dance around. But that brings a lot of great oceanic flavor. Yeah, I associate it with brininess. Like, brininess to me is richness. Like, a, a raw oyster has that oceanic, and I like that term, feel to it. It it has rich meatiness. It has big, bold, compounded flavor from a, a little teeny fishy. And I, I love that about it. And I think you definitely touched on a few things that are necessary for the element of flavor. Go back to dashi for a moment, please. It's a simple process. You have to have the right ingredients on hand. You can make a big batch of it, right? But there is a shortcut. And, you know, there's one one thing that we should say about the shortcut, which is um, using powdered dashi, um, you'll look at it and there'll, there'll be a fair amount of MSG in there monosodium glutamate, and I think, like, it's important for us to realize, kind of look at that as a seasoning, not as necessarily the bad thing, the bad guy that it's been made out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used in a lot of uh, definitely Chinese cooking. It appears in Japanese cooking. Um, and the powdered dashi that contains that will bring just a ton of the flavor that we're talking about to um, the, the ultimate ramen broth, and and it'll save you the time of making the dashi. You know, I'll always advocate for for going ahead and making it. You know, a dashi only takes 30 to 40 minutes. But if you short on time, just keep a box in the pantry. It's right there. You can, boom, just use it and add it to your chicken stock or whatever to finish the bowl. I don't want this conversation to end. You'll both stay with me, please? Okay, good. You have a few more minutes. Uh, because... 
the ramen revelation continues. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, don't touch your dial. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. We're making ramen, and if you just tuned in, you're late. There's a comic book cookbook filled with delectable ramen recipes that any novice or connoisseur can follow. From Chef Hugh Amano and illustrator Sarah Beacon, we are talking about this new book that is getting so much attention. Uh, And we've talked pantry and dashi, or yummy, and all the goodness. But can we master the bowl, please, both of you? I would like to know, uh, Hugh, if you'll take the lead, Sarah, follow, please. Your favorite bowl. Build me a ramen bowl that is just perfect for your palate. Well, you know, it's interesting because it really is seasonal, and that changes a lot for me. Like, the first thing that comes to mind, and I think one thing that's very popular um, here in the States, is tonkotsu ramen. And it's important to distinguish tonkotsu from tonkatsu. Katsu, of course, is a breaded fried pork cutlet. Tonkotsu is the bone, pork bone broth that gets boiled forever, like 16 and 18 hours. Mm. Um, It's super rich. It's super flavorful. We season it with a simple shiotare, which is just a a salt-based seasoning agent, um, and top it off with chashu, the great uh, roasted, highly seasoned Japanese roast pork. Mm, um, yes. And then some vegetables. We, we add some wok fried spinach in there, maybe some pickled shiitake mushrooms. Nice. Um, and then there's a very special black garlic oil. It's essentially burnt garlic made into an oil. It's bitter, but it cuts through all of that rich tonkotsu broth really well. Oh. Um, personally, that's my, you know, that's my favorite. That's the one that came to mind. That's your go-to. Wait, before, Sarah, I let you share your bowl, or I ask you to, mm-hmm. rather, I just have to stop at black garlic. You said two of my favorite words together, chef. Black yeah. garlic. <laughs> okay, there is nothing better than that fermented, brilliant flavor. And a black garlic oil to cut through the richness of a bowl of ramen. Uh, what time is dinner? I will fly, <laughs> I will fly to you right now. Um, Sarah, please uh, present your favorite bowl. Well, I think my current favorite bowl is from a restaurant here in Chicago called Wasabi. That They make a uh, spicy roasted garlic miso bowl Ooh. that um, was probably the first real elevated bowl of ramen that I ever had. So maybe it just imprinted on me, but it's also consistently my favorite. Um, although earlier this year, I was in Vancouver in Canada, and I went to a restaurant called Maritama, which I think is a chain from Japan, and they had a chicken taitan, uh, tori kotsu broth that was just phenomenal that I, I feel like has started to change my opinions about miso ramen, too. But honestly, as long as there's an ajitsuke uh, tamago on top of it, as long as there's a ramen egg, I love mm. all ramen. Oh, my God. Talk about rich upon rich. I love the ramen egg, too. <laughs> um, Chef, take us through the ramen egg, as we call it. Yeah, so the ramen egg, that's kind of fun. It's sort of difficult to 
um, make, or at least that's what we as chefs, that's our job, right, to make you think that you can't make it at home. You keep coming to our restaurant to get it. But <laughs> we, uh, the whole book, you know, the, the whole idea was to make things very approachable. So we kind of broke it down. Uh, we have a little guide as to how many minutes you cook the egg for your desire, the consistency that you want in the, in the yolk. So very simply, uh, a soft-boiled egg, um, make a flavorful brine for it. Again, brine keeps popping up. That's great. But we're using garlic. <laughs> Um, garlic, ginger, a little bit of chili, some, some mirin, some rice wine vinegar, soy sauce, a little bit of sugar. Ultimately, the eggs get peeled and then soaked in that. Um, and it's the kind of thing you, you could soak it overnight, but if you let it go for a while, the eggs almost pickle in there. Mm. And that's kind of like a bonus side, side snack. So just make a cool dozen of them. Use yes. some ramen and then just eat the rest. Yeah, side snack. I think I'd like to have a side snack for my daily snack. Like that's just an extra, right? I had a snack and then I had a side snack. I like the way you think. Um, talk to us about noodles, please, Chef. Uh, the Absolutely. the handmade ramen noodle, really essential? Very essential. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the one place in here where there isn't a whole lot of juking and jiving um, as far as one ingredient in the ramen noodle, and that's kanzui. Kansui is basically just an alkaline um, substance. It can be in liquid. It can be in powder form. But what that does is it gives the, the noodles a really great strength um, that keeps them nice and chewy, and it also lets them hold up to the hot broth because they're continuing to cook as mm-hmm. they're sitting in that hot broth. So um, they need to be uh, fortified with the kansui. And if you were to just put, like, spaghetti in there, it just would not have the same effect the spaghetti would dissolve, and uh, it would just be a terrible bowl of ramen. <laughs> this is a weekend project. You know, if you're going to master ramen, you really master the techniques, right? Uh, the stock uh, or the broth and the dashi and keeping those things on hand, handmade noodles. I feel like a, a bowl of ramen deserves its, you know, moment in the sun. I always joke that the camera eats first, right? My phone takes a picture of anything before you touch it on my dining room table. But this is like, (laughs) this is prideful food. I'm going to take your book into my kitchen and I'm going to make ramen to make you proud. And I love, I love that (laughs) concept. Yes. I love that concept of it. Uh, Okay. Let's finish the bowl. Toppings or accompaniments. That's my favorite part. So Sarah, you mentioned the ramen egg. Uh, just yes. has to be. Yeah, my my uh, my partner does not like eggs, so when we go out to ramen, I usually get to like steal his and then have two ramen eggs on top of mine. Oh, you're just spoiled. And chef, <laughs> do you have a favorite topping or accompaniment? Absolutely. I um, I love the crispy chicken skins that we do in the book, and it's sort of a byproduct. There's always chicken skins laying around if you're making, if you're say writing a ramen book and testing a bunch of recipes. So they're flavorful. It adds that texture. I think that that's so good. We talked about the the mayu, the black garlic oil, mm. but I also really love rayu. That's the chili oil in ours. You know, we put a lot of ginger and garlic and scallion um, and chilies, of course. It's a nice blast of heat um, mm. and flavor in there as well. Okay, you cheated. You added like eight toppings, which yeah, which means <laughs> which means you and I can definitely be friends. 
and, and I would be very honored, actually. Um, I love the riffs at the end of the book as well, where you just take a spin um, on ramen, which I think is just so wonderfully elevated. And then the insight from Luminaries. Uh, I remember going to Ivan Ramen for the first time. I walked as many blocks as it took to get from my hotel to Ivan Ramen at 930 at night upon arrival in New York um, in the city. Uh, for some business. And I will tell you, it is a memorable experience. I believe it. Uh, he's, he's a special guy. Yes. Like, when he um, agreed to, to join um, and help us with the contribution to the book, it was just, we fell, I fell out of my chair. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. And, and, and well-deserved. Uh, I feel like talking to the both of you is two luminaries in your fields, um, and the talent is just extraordinary. And I think the passion is contagious. So thank you both so much. And congratulations to you. It is a brilliant book, Making Waves. And I love that I got a sneak peek and the opportunity to share it. Uh, The book is called Let's Make Ramen, and it is the first ever comic book cookbook filled with those weekend project stocks and homemade noodle recipes, delectable bowls of ramen that you will crave and make every weekend for the rest of the year. I know it because I know what I'll be doing. Written by Chef Hugh Amano, the opening chef of Fat Rice in Chicago, illustrated by Sarah Beacon, the highly lauded comics artist and designer. The book is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. It is a love letter to ramen and you do not want to miss it. Hugh and Sarah, thank you for sharing your tremendous passion. Thank Thank you so much. I loved every minute of it. Okay, it's time for food news this week. When it comes to record-breaking bottle prices, Burgundy usually leads the way, both in France, by the way, and around the world. But there is a Bordeaux producer that is set to make even Domaine de la Romane Conti sound like a bargain. They are releasing their next vintage for a stratospheric $34,000 $34,000 a bottle. You heard me right. Located in Grave, the uh, winery, the producer is Liber Pater, and they boast the most expensive bottle prices in Bordeaux. You can normally expect to pay around $4,000 a bottle. Uh, but this new release, when it goes on sale, will become the world's most expensive vintage. 34000 a bottle, dollars that is, just 550 bottles have been produced. And so if you're uh, acquiring one, I should say, will you please invite me over for cheese and wine? <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff, right? Lots more delicious conversation, grand guests, and fabulous food in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, can you tell that I love what I do? Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, sipping and savoring, oh, the pleasure of bourbon. In 1922, Paul Jones Jr. purchased the Frankfurt Distilling Company in Louisville, Kentucky. In 
and he began producing Four Roses Kentucky Straight Bourbon. And the rest is history. In August of 2015, Brent Elliott became the company's new master distiller, sharing his deeply rooted passion for quality and pride in handcrafting an award-winning bourbon to continue Paul Jones's legacy. The smooth, mellow, beautiful taste that is signature of the Four Roses brand has become known around the world, and you will find Brent's heart and soul in every bottle. Four Roses bourbon master distiller Brent Elliott is here to dish on whiskey, the beauty of his new small batch release, wait till you taste it, and so much more. And I welcome you to the show, Brent. Glad to have you. Well, thanks, Jamie, and yes. thanks for this nice intro. Yes, of course. Oh, I love that drawl. Give me some Kentucky drawl. I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> Okay, first and foremost, can we please talk about the popularity of bourbon today? Do you think it's seeing a, a, a gentrification, a resurgence? I'm not one to sip on bourbon, but I have to tell you, I can't get enough of your small batch select, but we'll get to that. Do you see the, the audience of bourbon growing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little more difficult to gauge it, you know, having grown up in Kentucky and having had bourbon around me my entire life. Mm-hmm. Because we've always known that we've had something special here, and it's always been a part of our identity here in Kentucky. Inside looking out, it makes it a little more difficult, but being in the industry and seeing the influx of visitors, uh, seeing the rise in sales, I mean, everywhere we look, the signs just point to extreme, uh, an extreme increase in demand yes. and just this excitement that wasn't here outside of Kentucky say, 15 years ago. Isn't like, that amazing? I yeah, I, I, think, I think it's fascinating to see the adoration grow, but I think the appreciation has come along with that and the knowledge. You know, I'm all about um, imparting knowledge to, to make you the best cook you know, the, the best b- bourbon drinker you know, right? Because uh-huh. when you arm yourself with the insight and the heritage and the history, I think that that experience becomes that much richer. So oh, in, in doing my homework and learning about Four Roses, it's really been extraordinary to me to learn and better my bourbon knowledge. So tell us about the expressions you make. There are six babies, I like to call them, in your arsenal, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we have, here in the U.S., we have our four standard expressions. We have a Four Roses bourbon, right. a Four Roses small batch, our single barrel, and then our recent released Four Roses small batch select. And then we also have a limited release that we do every fall. It's our limited edition small batch. Hmm. And we typically do about ten to 13,000 bottles of that, so it is pretty limited. And then we have a program where retailers, you know, whether it's a restaurant or a retail account, they can actually come to our distillery and select individual barrels that they want to purchase. So they buy the barrel, we bottle it for them as a single barrel, and then it goes into their account. So they have some ownership in the uh, the barrel that they select. Yes, but they're also very much appealing to the uh, the. Do you call it bourbon or whiskey? What's the proper uh, terminology? Uh, either one. Okay. You know, all all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. bourbons. You know, right. Bourbon is more of a subset that you have to follow more of the regulations. 
congratulations to you. You know, you are uh, no doubt setting the pace for the continued growth, the the resurgence and and the the buildup of this beautiful world of bourbon. And um, as a, a young gentleman in the business uh, with a master distiller title, um, I really appreciate that you're paving the way and kudos to you because there is so much passion and pride in it. And I'm really thrilled and delighted to be able to share your story. Well, thank you. Yes, a pleasure. Uh, We will continue to drink Four Roses in my house. Four Roses is the only bourbon distillery that combines five proprietary yeast strains, two separate mash bills, to handcraft 10 distinct bourbon recipes, and each of them with its own unique character and spiciness and fruit flavor, as master distiller Brent Elliott shared. You can learn more about his tremendous passion and the new small batch select release at fourrosesbourbon.com. And Brent, I'd love to have you back. Maybe we could plan a bourbon-inspired holiday menu come the end of the year and see uh, how many dishes we could weave uh, Four Roses bourbon into. That sounds great. I'm liking that idea. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for sharing your passion. Okay, good. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope you think so. (laughs) Every weekend, I will bring you my best food finds, recipes, and comrades to share the beauty of the food world. And so I hope you'll tune in. I thank you for listening this week. And let me leave you with my last bite. I like these three, four, five ingredient recipes, especially during the dog days of summer. And for the hottest days and nights, this is my new best go-to recipe. I call it a cucumber salad boat. Oh, by the way, it's for your low-carb eating friends as well, because you scoop out the seeds of a fresh cucumber, preferably a burpless or an English one. I leave the rind because I like the chew, and then I fill the inside of that cucumber boat with my favorite salad, and you get this crunchy, refreshing, lovely could be light dinner along with a chilled soup, could be a lovely lunch. Or cut them into pieces and they could make a great uh, hors d'oeuvre or appetizer. So I've done it with what I call country club chicken salad. That's uh, shredded chicken, good mayo, red grapes, and chopped pecans. You could do it BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato tossed in some white balsamic vinaigrette. And then if you're going for the antipasto version, I put in uh, cubed provolone, crumbled uh, salami or chopped salami and some chopped up jardiniere or pickled vegetables. Oh yes. So good. I will post my cucumber salad boats on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chef Jamie Gwen. Please follow and become a friend and a fan. And of course you'll find, uh, the recipes that I mentioned during the show, plus many more galore at chefjamie.com. The bonus recipe for my lemon icebox pie, just email me, jamie at chefjamie.com, and meet me here next weekend. Until then, I hope you continue to eat well. Well.